Jokester, we get, before we get started, we're going to have Joey come up and tell a joke. Joey. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Christopher, and thank you, everyone. All right, uh, my name is Joey the Jokester, and I got a joke for you. All right, this joke is a hip-hop-inspired joke, <laughs> you know. All right, anyway. <laughs> a guy walks into a bar owned by Eminem, a.k.a. Marshall Mathers, you know him, and he tells the bartender... Give me two shots of... The bartender cuts him off, saying, you only get one shot. Anyway, thank you. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. It's Thursday night, Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you all for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and that might or will distract others. Let's all take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step, step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right. I always expect like a loud. All right. Yes. See you in two minutes.
Please join me in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. <clears throat> From There is a Solution, the big book, page 17, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked a friend, Andrew J., to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 Steps is to have a spiritual experience, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Andrew. Hello, I'm a recovered alcoholic named Andrew. Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. <clears throat> Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes, or religious experiences, must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a, nun a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have ne nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership, of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic cap capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567 and 568. Thank you, Andrew. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, unless you're watching us on Zoom and Facebook, of course. So set your phones, if you're here, to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, now is the opportunity uh, to, it's the time to 
introduce our speaker, and that's Joe. And Joe's an awesome guy. I first became aware of Joe um, years ago. On, he was uh, chairing a Wednesday night big book study, and it was just fantastic. And I was just, my sponsor drove me there from detox, and I just thought it was fantastic. And, and in his first session, he spoke about this. Uh, he has more than a couple of 24 hours sober, but he talks about seeing the program, seeing the message from the eyes of the newcomer and, and speaking a message of recovery that you, that anyone, everyone can understand. And I've really enjoyed the first three sessions. I'm very excited to hear what Joe has to share with us tonight. Joe. Thank you. Hey everybody. I'm an alcoholic and a member of the Wednesday night big book study group. My name's Joe. Good to be here tonight, and uh, we had a little gap last week, but everything turned out well, and uh, glad to be back with you. You know, every time I, I come in this room, I, I get a calming effect, but when I sit down in that chair, just prior to the meeting, I get like butterflies like crazy, you know, and uh, I think that's just more God amping me up for the right message. I don't know but it might take a minute or two for it to get rolling. I, uh, so we, you know, we've been talking in the last three and a half weeks, three weeks, four weeks, that um, we've been getting a lot of information. We've been getting information from the doctor's opinion. We've been getting information from Bill's story, and there's a solution, and more about alcoholism. And we're able to, at this point, hopefully uh, conclude some things, right? We're going to come to three pertinent ideas that... Uh, are in how it works, and when they when they when they get done with those three pertinent ideas, and I'm I'm hopeful that everybody is aware of this, that it says being convinced of these three things. We're now at step three, and uh, so a water, yeah, just water. Uh, a that we're alcoholic, could manage our own life. I like to say, A, that we're alcoholics and couldn't manage our own thinking because as a result of thinking, we get life. As a result of thinking, we get our past. We get a a snapshot of my thought processes and all my thoughts, if I can just look over my shoulder into the past and see all the results that I got. We We have a thought, we get a feeling or an emotion based on that thought. We take an action, we get a result. And most of us, when we get here, we don't like the results we've been getting. So that would not mean anything other than I've got to change my thinking. And Dr. Silkworth came to that conclusion, didn't he? Entire psychic change. And unless one's willing to undergo it, there's very little hope of your recovery. And when I saw that, I knew while I was, why I was struggling. I knew that when, you know, when I got stopped for the first time back in 1986, that... Uh, it was just a futile attempt that the next 16 years from that point forward, my struggle began. <laughs> you know why? Because I was trying to do this thing unmedicated, this thing called life, and I hated it. And uh, I did some pretty bad things, pretty hurtful things, and uh, have a lot of collateral damage as a result of that. Not to mention the own personal destruction and humiliation and devastation and degradation and, you know, you, all those things. And um, so, you know, I didn't relate this program. I just, you know, I don't know why, but I didn't relate this program to the program. 
the program to me was the, the one-liners in, that you hear a lot in the rooms, the myths. Just don't drink, go to meetings. You know, and, and, and as if the program was not drinking and going to meetings. I, honest to God, I believe that. I wanted to have all the niceties of things that I was used to to get, be comfortable. Just not to have to drink and suffer the consequences while I was doing it. I couldn't pick and choose my way through this thing. I had to get specific. I didn't know that. But lo and behold, you know, when, this, when, the, when God looks down upon each one of us at that point, and he has heard that cry emanating from the depths of your soul, where there is no ego, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing to filter it out between you and him. It's simply, he, it, it resonates. It's done without, you know, uh, calculation or fabrication. It's done from the depths of our soul. We get to that place where we're just crying out. God, please help me. And he hears it. <laughs> Amazing. And listen, he heard it a lot of times, but I believe he hears it and, and, and puts this... Uh, bestows this grace upon us in the interim, like in, in the first beginning of getting into this thing and then you know, starting to do the work and reading the book and things of that nature, that we're covered under this grace where the obsession is still, it's kind of dormant. You know, it's not kicking our behinds as bad as it was. We're starting to get a little fellowship, a little camaraderie, starting to feel good about things, get a little job, make a little money, get a little food in your stomach, start to clear up, right? And... I believe that 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 time between the stopping, the actual stopping, and the time that we get started is what is is bestowed upon us as grace, an unearned gift. But the cry that we initiated, the cry that we cried out, the first cry, right? God, please help me. He heard it. And I believe his intention was to, to give us that grace until we actually did this program to seek him and to have that relationship with him and to get that spiritual awakening, that access, that channel, unchoked, two-way communication, relationship, right? God does, for me, God just hasn't been this concept, you know, in the sky. I mean, at, for a time he was, but, you know, it has nothing to do with the old way of looking at it and viewing it and, 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 and conceiving of it, Right? For me now, it is, it is a relationship where there's a two-way communication. And it's a two-way conversation. It's not a prayer and waiting to hear. It's none of that. It's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's this conversational, loving uh, communication that we have, that I have. And um, so I believe that when I uttered those, that prayer... The, you know, it was always it was always done prior, with, you know, uh, this idea of how I was going to have to do this thing. You know what I mean? It was it was like there was no uh, uh, surrender. It was like I was surrendering like this rather than like this. And you can't do this kind of a surrender. Conditional surrender is not a surrender. It's surrendering. It's me surrendering with terms, <laughs> right? Me, me surrendering, you know, uh, conditional surrender is, it's not really giving up to join the winning side. It's kind of like, I'll hang out with you guys for a while, but I'm going to do and, and, and say and, and think and, and, and 
pursue life the way I think I need to. Right? I didn't think I needed to alter that. I just thought I got, you know, really bad consequences when I drank. The problem was I couldn't stay stopped. I couldn't stop starting. And every time I stopped and I came to, I really, and every time I came into AA, I so desperately wanted to stop. I wanted to stay stopped. And I said, I'll do anything. And I meant it for about a day. Until you told me to do something that was uncomfortable. We all live in this comfort zone. We all have this place that we like to hang out where it's nice and warm and fuzzy and comfortable. And like as long as I don't got to get outside that box where it's scary and it's skinny branches and it's taking risks, I'll, I'll be okay with this thing. I'll do that. So it didn't work out too good. We've been given all this information from the doctor's opinion to chapter 5. To lead me to a place where I can make the decision of a lifetime. I used to think I made decisions all the time. I mean, I made a lot of decisions in my life. Good, bad, or indifferent. Until I got here and found out this information and found out that probably 90% of them were just intentions. Nice intentions. Nice intention. An intention is wanting to do something but never doing it. But I intended to do it. Right? A decision is something that must be validated with action. Or it's not a decision. Validation from the decision is action, and they're all married into one. Right? So, if I'm in, you know, it's like Mike calls me up and, you know, the, uh, in the evening says, Joe, I'm flying in from New York, and I'm, you know, the, air, the, the uh, plane's going to land at 3 o'clock in the morning. Would you mind picking me up? What's my response? Yeah, I'll, well, I'll think about it. Yeah, I might. You know what? Yeah, I'll try. I'll try, Mike. Click, and rightfully so, right? If I can't give him my word and have integrity to back it up and say absolutely, I'll be there. He knows that if he did that today, I would be there because my word is everything. It's the only thing we have that matters in life. Your word is your bomb. We hear it all the time. I didn't have a word. I never had a matter of fact. People would never ask me to do anything for them. Today, they'll ask me to watch their children for them. What a, what a change. What a, what a miracle, miraculous transformation that is. But it all started from the decision, didn't it? It all started. It says this. This is in our 12 and 12. This is the second read of the big book. And it was, it was written to enhance the understanding. They had an experience of several years that they wanted to broaden the understanding, give us a little more context as to what they were talking about. Like it, t- it talks about in, the, in the, uh, the forward, I'm sorry, the preface of the uh, 12 and 12. It says, the 12 steps are a set of principles. Spiritual in their nature. In their nature. That if when practice is a way of life, it will not only expel the obsession to drink, but will enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Wow. I don't know about anybody in the universe out there or in this room, but I'm going to tell you something. I was fractured in a thousand pieces. 
And the worst part of being fractured in a thousand pieces, living in terror and fear on the inside, feeling like a loser and failure on the, on the inside, feeling like I'll never get this thing, right? Feeling like I was life-sentenced to feeling about life the way I was feeling about life. I was broken. And the worst part of being broken is walking around to all of you and everybody else on this planet pretending like it doesn't exist. Like, you know, like you're carrying on in this masquerade, like, you got it going on. I'm good. That's one of the most devastating things I used to say when I come into AA all those times. How you doing, Joe? I'm good. And be dying inside. Literally be dying inside, not wanting to show up another minute. That's no way to live. That's bondage. That is incarceration. That is what they call a self-imposed prison cell. And I couldn't get my way out of it. I didn't have the recipe. I had what I had. And listen, if we all, if we all look when we get here to what we had as, a, as, a, as the evidence of our life to support like how well my mind was working, I don't think any of us would say, yeah, it was great. So I've gotten this information where I can stand in my skin and say I'm absolutely an alcoholic, know exactly what that means. I can't stop, and I can't stop starting. I can get stopped. Human beings can help get me stopped. They can drive me to detox or throw my butt in jail. But they could, not a human being on earth could keep me stopped, no matter how great the necessity of the wish, no matter what I st- stood to lose. In those little brief periods that I would get stopped and stay abstinent, I would detox and retox. And in the, and in the gap of that, right, I would, I would lose, I would ha- I'd build a little something up, but I'd tear it all down. What I, what I probably built with urgency more than anything in those gaps of detox and retox was trying to get the trust back and the support back of my family and my loved ones. So what is an intention? What is faith without works? It's wanting something for nothing, isn't it? Wanting something for nothing. That was my motto. My internal motto. I never told you about it. But I wanted what you had. I, I never wanted to do anything to get what I got. Other than steal. Right? But it had to be a good opportunity. I wanted the maximum return with the minimum effort. That's why everything I did was an intention. So what uh, what do they say here? It says that uh, like all the remaining steps, I think this is so, the longer you do this thing, the longer you study this thing, these things take such profound meaning, so much more meaning than I had anticipated. And... um, made a decision to turn my will, which is my thoughts, my mind, and my life, which is the results of those thoughts, my actions, right? Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, right? So I am, I'm taking this position here that I can't do, I can't, 
produce good things anymore with this mind. I can only produce failure when it comes to staying stopped. So I've got I've to go much deeper. This isn't about stopping, never was. It's about executing this formula so that I can have this psychic change, this mental transformation, this profound change in my reaction to life so that I can live comfortably, so that I can live at ease. Anybody would want, anybody would want that. So it says, like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action. For it is only by action that we can cut away self-will, which has always blocked the entry of God. So I'm running on, on, on self-will all my life. Even though I was taught about God, I went to, I went to Sunday school, I, did, I went to church with my folks. I, I, was, I knew all about God. I just never knew God because I never approached a relationship with him. I never sought to include him in my affairs. It was always me demanding from him. And no wonder I always had this attitude about God. It was a subject I didn't even want to talk about. Don't, you know, I would avoid people that would have those personal conversations. Like, what do you think about God, Joe? You know what? That's personal. I don't want to talk about it. None of your business. Right? But I, my approach to success, to comfortability, to uh, ease and comfort was all a horizontal approach to life. It was all here on earth. Right? I never sought a vertical approach. Ever. This whole thing is about a vertical approach. So I'm making a decision to stop the madness, stop all this evidence continuing in my life and building and building and building, but I've got to take myself out of the equation. I have got to become a student rather than somebody that thinks he knows how to get there. How do you get somewhere where you've never been before? How do you think like you've never thought before? You can't. Albert Einstein, these guys from a long time ago, they, they, they were pretty profound. Albert Einstein said, a, 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 problem that is, a, a, uh, a problem cannot be solved by the same mind that created the problem. Holy smokes. I wish I'd have heard that, you know, a long time ago. I wouldn't have believed it, though. I'd have said, that, that fool, you know what I mean? It was like this arrogant, egotistical cover story that I used to live by. It was nauseating. I think about it now, and I, I, you know, I talk about it, I get a little upchuck in my mouth about how I was and who I was. A problem cannot be solved by the same mind that created the problem. Well, that tells me entire psychic chain is probably... Right in line with what I need. And when, as soon as John took me to that, I said, now I know why I've struggled. How do I get me one of those? Well, he says, I'm glad you asked, Joe. You know, I never asked that question. For 16 years, I'm dying in and out of this program, in an NAA, out of AA, with untreated alcoholism, running with an alcoholic mind, hoping one day that that period of abstinence will be the magical one. That halfway will be the magical one. That treatment center, that'll be the magical one. But I never did anything to change the way I thought. This whole thing hinges on me thinking differently. Because if I don't, I'm doomed.
I'm a dead man walking. And so is anybody else in this deal. Right? So, for it is only by action that I can cut away the self-will, the self-will that's been blocking me off from this power source. This, this is a decision that if we execute this recipe, if we, it's like any recipe, right? Bet, go into the store and get a Betty Crocker cake box for a German chocolate cake. I love that stuff, right? And you, when you get home, you're like dying for this cake. And you look, and it's, you look on the package and it says six eggs. And I got four eggs. I'm not going out store and buy more eggs. I'll just sugar, three cups of sugar. It's a sweet cake, right? And I only got a cup, eh. a little bit of milk, right? Well, I mix milk with water. Listen, I'm going to get a cake probably, but it sure isn't going to be the cake on that box. It's the same exact thing with this. I'm going to get something if I want to contaminate. Everything that I'm doing along the way with old stuff. And I may get something, but it's not going to be what they're talking about in the 12th step. Not even close. I may turn out to be one of those negative victims in AA. Always talking negative, always bitching and moaning about something, complaining all the time. And wonder why nobody wants to come up and chat with me. They can see me coming, right? I'm looking down, got a scowl on my face. John used to talk about that, that scowl. He said it's like a V in your forehead. It stands for victim. It's like right here. You know, and you can tell when they got it. I see another victim coming. I just leave. I walk away. And people did that to me too. They want to hear my story. So what I would do is I'd get involved in the conspiracy theory. Right? I learned that if you would buy, if, 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 if you would buy mine, I'd buy yours. But I'd have to buy yours first. So whatever your victim story was, whatever your drama in your life was, I could, I'd listen politely, probably be thinking about something completely different. But then when you were done, I came at you. Right? You buy mine, I'll buy yours. What a way to live. So victims, victimese, is that language that victims speak. And the only people that understand it are other victims. But if you're living by the, in a, if you're on this beam and you're living by the, the uh, in the spirit world and you're you, like you've entered this thing and you're on fire and you're like moving and you're engaged and you're head over heels in love with this program and God, you don't. They don't want to hear victims. Don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear positive stuff. I used to be the consummate victim. It was, you know why? Because I never could take responsibility or accountability for anything I'd ever done. It was always your fault. And even like the book says, see, even when I knew I was part of that blame, I always held you more to blame. Right? That was just the way it was for me. So I came in here crippled, completely handicapped. So I had to get to that place where booze and drugs is the only thing that will get you there. And I had to be beaten so unmercifully over a period of almost two decades before I uttered that prayer. And God, in his incredible mercy, looked down on Joe Bear and says, enough suffering. 
enough. It's time. And from that point, my ears came open. I don't know how that happened. I used to say, well, I don't know how that happened. God, I wonder how that happened. Well, now I know it's, it's God. I know that, 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 those, that those little things, those heavenly whispers, those you know, momentum changes and shifts in my, in my whole way of life were starting to change. Because I knew at that moment that I needed a teacher. I knew at that moment what it says like in the big book. It says, alcohol become a great persuader. It finally beat me into a state of reasonableness. It's the same. It's an, it, like reasonableness is an AKA for teachable. If I was not teachable, this wouldn't be happening. Right? I, wanted, I wanted the cake they were talking about in the, in the 12th step. I wanted that. I wanted to know life different. I wanted to feel life different. I wanted to speak life different. I wanted to interpret and perceive life different. I wanted me to die. Because I hated me. I hated my guts. I've told you that many times. So the guy that came in, that guy was absolutely going to drink again. Without fail. So every moment from that point forward, and I'm speaking to everybody, my, my willingness and my uh, commitment has to reflect that I'm ready to distance myself from that guy. And the whole, there's only one way to do it. This is called going through the fire. This is called a refinement process. This is a game of subtraction, not not addition. So when I make this decision, it's time to investigate. Says this. Because, you know, the beauty of this. You don't have to figure anything out. It's all written down. Isn't it? Isn't that great? And it has worked flawlessly for those that are 100% committed to it 100% of the time. Do we stumble going through it? Yeah, of course. There's only one way to be successful at this thing, and that's to fail. That's it. <laughs> success doesn't come by just success. It comes by failure. It comes through failure. We fumble. We pick up the ball. We keep on going. Right? We keep moving towards the goalpost. We don't go backwards. Right? We, have to go, we have to look backwards in order to move forward. We have to set little benchmarks and goals. Right, But it's all done for us in here. It says this in chapter 5. Right? So here we are. That was, oh. Here we are at chapter 5. And it says this. People, it says, uh, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, right? It says, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. See, that resonated with me. I knew I was a habitual liar when I got here. I knew that I couldn't tell the truth. No matter, I didn't know what the reference point. I had lied so many times, I lost track of the truth somewhere. In my life. My whole life was a lie. This whole masquerade. I was an imposter. In, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't personally look at myself as an imposter. 
but I was such an actor and a fraud and a phony, I didn't know how to be real because there was no real there. It was all about satisfying these needs that I had, these instinctual drives that had become emotional deformities as they progress. Right? So constitutionally incapable, I had to look at that. I had to look it up. I, had, you know, I got a Webster's Dictionary, and I, my third favorite book. And um, so I wanted to know what that meant because I used to see the word constitution. I think of the paper and a big thing, a you know, plastic or glass encasement in Washington D.C. somewhere in there, somewhere up there. And it was the Constitution of the United States. So when it said constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, there was something more there that I kind of figured out. So I went and looked it up. It says Constitution. Is a set of rules and guidelines by which a man or woman govern their life. Oh, man. Huh? So I, as a human being, as do everybody, have this constitution. Well, when I got here, my constitution consisted of these things. Liar. And completely inconsiderate, selfish, self-centered to the max, self-absorbed. It was all about my world, my needs, and my little plans and desires. Lust, greed, pride, ego, sloth, gluttony, and on and on and on. I mean, it was just, that was me, a bag of that. John called it a bag of doo-doo. Right? You say every morning I'd, I'd wake up, throw that 25-pound bag over my shoulder, reach down, grab some, and rub it all over me. Because that's all you got. I didn't know any different. I didn't know how to live effectively. I knew I couldn't uh, have a decent relationship with somebody. It was all fraudulent, insincere, constitutionally incapable. So it wasn't just you know being honest with myself. It was everything. It was everything. It says uh, they are naturally. I don't know about naturally. I believe that we're all born to be honest human beings. But somewhere along the way, lying is much quicker and easier and satisfying. For me, it was to get what it is I wanted from you. It says, uh, incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. And that's exactly why I stayed sick for so long. I never was committed. I never was devoted. I never wanted to be obedient. I never wanted to be told what to do or given direction. Is there any wonder, if anybody's like me, how you'll never get this thing? Unless booze and drugs do their job and beat me so unmercifully over, for my case, it was a long period of time where I became the guy that hated himself, wanted to die and said, if I, can't, if I can't think, see, live, or breathe differently, I'm going to take me out. I'm going to end me. And, and lo and behold, John shows up. John Williams, God rest his soul. He taught me everything I knew about this. And not only this, but being a man. There's other ingredients that are needed, I believe, in order to effectively do this. And it has to come from my heart. It has to come from my, you know, my, my uh, uh, there's a certain amount of willpower that I have to execute in order to have this happen. But my will has to be in line with what the directions are. They can't contaminate it with old stuff. So, 
It says if you decide you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. Oh, my goodness gracious. So we've established one or two. We know one is powerless to stay, to stay engaged in a state of step one is misery, death, and destruction. The hope comes in step two, doesn't it? Admitting I'm powerless doesn't mean I'm sober. Admitting I'm powerless doesn't mean I'm abstinent. It just means I'm admitting I'm powerless. Right? It's, it's admitting that I'm in the de- that I'm in the death sentence, that the obsession is still, you know, dooming me to drink again. Right? So this says, if I love this, it says very clear language. If you want what we have, and these are the first one hundred talking about this thing, and are willing to go to any length to get it. I don't think a lot of us are these days. It has become such a casual approach. Like going through a a salad bar or something. Stevie B. (laughs) He says, you go through the salad bar, I'll take it with one little crouton. Why don't you take the whole salad, Joe? Well, if I'm willing to go to any length to get it, then I'm willing to follow directions because I don't know how to get it. I don't even know what it is because I've never lived it. I've never had it, the spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps. A whole different profound alteration in my reaction to life. This profound attitude shift. This whole rearrangement. Reconstruction. says if I'm, if I'm willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. Well, I would want to know what those are. I think those are rather, that's an important statement, right? So what are the certain steps that they're talking about? Well, here we are. At step three, deciding. We're deciding to take these certain steps. So it would be four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, and so on. Right? There's the key to the future. Down the road a little bit, in step 10, it talks about this. It says this. If you decide you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, for victory over alcohol, right? That's what we're in this thing for, victory over alcohol. And then it says in step 10, it, it shifts. It says for victory to find a spiritual experience. Right? We, we're willing to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. So <laughs> it's the same thing. Victory over alcoholism. Is a spiritual experience. Synonymous, right? Um, says this. We talked about this when Roland Hazard went and saw Carl Jung over in Europe. And Jung said, you know, Roland's begging him. Roland gets drunk on the way, you know, back to wherever he was going from, coming from. And um, he goes back to the doctor after treating with him for years. Says, God, please, please tell me, is there anything, any hope for me? And Young says, well, I've never seen one case like you recover. But it says this. It says, here and there, once in a while, after he's begging him, begging him, talking to one of the greatest minds on earth, says, here and there, once in a while, men have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. He didn't say human experiences. He didn't say earthly experiences. He said spirit. He talked about a whole different dimension here. Someplace I never visited, 
someplace I never drew thought from, someplace I never considered going to or making it part of my life. It was too far out there, right? Too hard to get my head around that thing. And he says, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these things are a phenomenon. I don't know how to tell you to get one. To me, they don't make any, there's, you know, it's, they happen, seen them happen, seen the results of them. And they say that old attitudes, ideas, and, and beliefs, basically our entire psyche, everything that we, emanates from thought from us comes from those places. Attitudes, ideas, and beliefs, my whole belief system about everything, right? Are suddenly cast to one side or gradually cast to one side and supplanted with a whole new conception. So what they're saying is, is that you've got to go from self-centered to spiritually centered. I've got to go from this thing that I've been indoctrinated into, that if I'm going to get it, it's up to me. If it's going to be, it's up to you, you know, that old saying. Like it was all self-reliance. I had to win. I had to, you know what I mean? It's like I had to secure it. Master of my own destiny. But it wasn't working out too good. And most people I talked to, it wasn't working out for them either. This self-promoter, self-reliance was killing me. It was destroying me and everybody else that I knew, right? So... If they're saying that old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs that were once that are now the guiding force of my life, they have to be cast away. They have to be gotten rid of. So we it says once we take once we take that third step prayer, that we're ready to make a decision. We made the decision, and here's what it says. We talked last week about the only thing that'll get in the way and derail me. And have me lose is me. That's it. I don't have to look anywhere else. So it says. (laughs) Once we do the third step prayer. And we, do, we, we decide to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. I'm not going to manage this thing anymore. I'm going to count on my sponsor who was presented to me by this power source. Somehow, miraculously, he came into my life. Right? And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to be a good student. I'm going to do my exercise. I'm going I'm to do whatever this guy says because I wanted to be. I wanted to be like him. He was a responsible integrous, honorable, kind and considerate gentleman. Always a gentleman. Always fun to be around. Always authentic and transparent. Just fully self-expressed. Need to care what it thought. Listen, I ran my, I was crippled by what you thought of me. I always was posturing. Man, I just got to be who they want. And maybe they'll like me and maybe they'll think highly of me and be talking about me in a good way. I'll be popular. Not this guy. First time I met him, I walked into an empty meeting room it was a big book study that was presented to me. Joe, hey, you want to go to a big book study? What's a, go to a big book study? How boring is that? Where I, my mind was parked was, they got any women in a big book meeting? Like, they got to be a bunch of old critters, right? So I walk in, music's playing, blaring, right? Loud, and, and, and it was dance music. There was not a soul in there except for John. He had one of these on. 
And he was up in a room dancing his butt off. He was getting it. And I mean, he saw me, he wa- he saw me walk in. He didn't, he didn't even stop. He just kept on going. Like he was his own, in his own world with his God having a blast. And he didn't give a damn of what it looked like to other people. That shocked me. That shocked me. How could anybody be that fully self-expressed and not care about what other people think about him? I mean, I don't know about you. I would have never done that. I would have been embarrassed. I would have been humiliated. My ego would not let me do that. My arrogance would not let me do that. Not him. He didn't care. He wasn't, he wasn't in bondage to what people thought about him. He lived in a place of contentment, conviction, empowerment, enlightenment, and, and, and just that. He was always on fire. He taught me and Mike everything we know about this deal. I wanted that. I wanted to know what it would be like to feel responsible. I knew I had to be responsible. I didn't know what that was all about. But I wanted to feel what it would be like. The effects of being responsible. I wanted to feel the effects of somebody trusting me. I wanted to know what it was like to be my word and be convicted. I wanted to know what it would be like to be disciplined. I never had discipline. I was lazy. I wasn't disciplined at all. That was a reflection of my life. I wanted to know what that felt like. So that means in order to feel those things, here's my teacher, and I'm going to have to do what he tells me to do so I can get to that place. Because I don't know how to get me there. You see, when we get here, we don't know how to get us there. (laughs) We don't know how to get it, how it works. If we did... We go do it. That's why every time I come back in, crawl on my butt back up. Please, I'm so sorry. What are you going to do different, Joe? Well, I know what I need to do. They look at me with that that frightening stare. If you've ever, you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh my God. You mean to tell me that you think you know what to do? Based on that evidence? It was a dooming, it was a dooming mantra. Doomed to repeat. So I started, he says, Joe, he says, uh, here's the deal. So step three is, do you want what we have? And are you willing to go to any length to get it? Are you willing to follow directions and instructions when you begin this recipe? I said, yes, sir, I am. I am absolutely ready. He says, okay, get a pen or a pencil. He gave me a golf pencil. They don't have a razor. They don't have erasers on them. He gave me a template guide for the fourth step. He says, get busy. It says next, it says here, it says, you know, the, the, the decision that we make would have little permanent effect, right? Unless at once diving into this thing. At once. In the, in the, in the, in the uh, bottom of page 63, it says, even though we uh, made that decision and we said that third step prayer, that's only a beginning. That's only a beginning. Step three calls for affirmative action. As a matter of fact, the whole program, the rest of the steps, 
will depend on how well we do step three. Do you know that step three isn't just a call for step four? It's a call for step four. It's a call for step five. It's a call for six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And eleven. And twelve. About that. So when I get up in the morning today, and it's been a little longer than a little bit, right? That I decide to plug in to him. It's so much greater than me trying to go out there and run on self-will. That is so frustrating. Walking out the door unprepared, right? No preparation at all. Usually I'm waking up late. You know, I don't feed the dogs. I'm like in a not so kind state of mind. And I slam the door and there I go. And I go out just waiting for somebody to offend me. That's unpreparation. That's no preparation at all. That's a preparation for absolute failure. So think about it. If I'm deciding to turn my will, which is my thoughts, and my life over to God's care, what would I be doing as it relates to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? The program, the recipe. Well, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to get this. It says next. (laughs) We launched. Now, if you can imagine what that looks like, it's like, Next is next. It's not like in a little while or six months down the road or a year. Now. That's what it means. Now. Next. Right? We launched. You know what a launch looks like, right? The space things go up. and Like you're catapulting off, right? Like you're diving in. You're jumping in. You're entrenched. Well, step four is all laid out. It's not, there's nothing to like ask me my opinion here. Right? So, It says, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step, which is a personal house cleaning. It says, which many of us never attempted. I took personal house cleaning, but it was all on you. It was all, I was all on your stuff, right? Any, any of my failures were a result of you. That's why I could always be right in my mind about you being wrong. Regardless of whether my life stayed in the toilet or not. Because it did. Right? I got to be right, but about what? Even though I was wrong, I was right. <laughs> That's a disturbing way to look at life. So it says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step. step this third step decision. It says decision. That's our third step. It could have little permanent effect. Staying stopped. Staying stopped. Right? It could have little permanent effect unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to be face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Blocking us from what? Access to God's power. The ability to, to, to work this thing and have a spiritual transformation and have an you know, entire psychic change and become free, authentic, transparent, outrageous, on fire. Right? It says... So what's going to block me off from the sunlight of the Spirit, from God's, from God's power to be able to move through life in, a, in an outrageous way, in a magnificent, extraordinary way? Right? Well, lust didn't help. Selfishness didn't help. Self-absorption didn't help. The need to be right, the need to be in control, to dictate everything, and cry and suck my thumb when it didn't happen. And be a victim, right? Pride and ego didn't help. 
right? There were so many things in the way. I only thought I was going to be able to get me out of that, but I was actually doing the opposite. I was putting myself deeper, deeper, deeper in it, right? So here's what we do. This step four. So we start this personal inventory. And for the first time in my life, I'm going to look and see who you got when I showed up on the scene. I'm going to try to uh, assess what your experience was of me on planet Earth for the majority of my life. And it was scary. I had a lot of fear. But there's only one way to establish courage in your life. And that's to feel the fear, the fear and, and move through it anyway. To feel the fear and do it anyway. And thank God for John because that's how he coached me. I needed somebody to step in my face and tell me the facts of life. And the truth about who I was and how I was showing up and the damage I was causing. I didn't need somebody to pat me on the head, give me a glass of milk and some cookies, and tell me there, there, it's going to be okay. I didn't need that. I needed somebody that were going to stick their ten and a half so far up my butt that it was going to hurt, and I was going to do what he told me to do. Right? So, he says, uh, so we're going to do this. uh, He likens the four-step inventory to a commercial inventory. Right? Where we do, it says, our inventory is a... Uh, taking a commercial inventory in your business is a fact finding. We go out and search the facts. Retail comes to mind. What's working? What's not? What's broken? What's dented? Right? And a fact facing. I'm going to face those facts. I, I see the facts of my business. I see what's working, what's not, what's selling, what's not. I'm going to face that truth and I'm going to, and I'm going to take action. It says it's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. So if we're doing a personal inventory, the stock and trade is me, right? And the fact-finding is simply a searching, isn't it, right? And a fact-facing is a fearless moral inventory, truthful. Another word for moral is truthful. So I'm going to do a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. doesn't say immoral inventory. I could have filled that page real easy. Right? But a truthful one. I had to be truthful. And I had to be truthful about the liar I had become. And the deceiver I had become. And the imposter I had become. And the greed I had. And the lust I had. I had to come true with all that. But I could do it with this man. And I could do it the way it says to do it. So first, it says first we, we uh, search out the flaws in our makeup which has caused our failure. Right? One dot connects to the other. And it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-conscious, you know, all that stuff, manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. So it was the way I was pursuing life in general that was causing me to fail. I'm sure I was taught some good principles and morals, but I had a good family. I came from a good family, loving family, religious family. And I was t- brought up to, to have respect and, and you know, be kind and considerate and all this. But somewhere along the line, that wasn't getting me what I wanted quick enough. So I started to deviate, started to take shortcuts. I started to take on character flaw type of a behavior. And the rest is history. But it says resentment is the number one offender. 
Latin word called recentiri. It's re before any word means to repeat, right? Again means again, right? Replay, relapse, you know, so on. Sentiment comes from a Latin word sentiri, and it means to feel. So resentment means to feel again, to feel again and again and again. So when somebody offends me or possibly exposes me for the liar and fraud I was, I copped a major resentment. The cops got me, I copped a major resentment. It wasn't my fault, it's the, because what happens is you play it over and over in your mind until, yeah, I probably had a little something to do with this dance, right? But I'm sure you were more to blame. And the more I played it over and over in my mind, the more right I became, the more wrong you got. And I never let go of those resentments. I just discarded you like a piece of garbage. I'd never, you know, we never became friends or stayed friends after something like that occurred. So my whole life was lived, consumed with resentments and fear. It says, from it stem all forms of spiritual dis-ease. We have not only been mentally and physically ill, right? Twofold, right? We have been spiritually sick or sickened. We have become spiritually bankrupted because of the mental and physical, the mental and physical features, aspects of this deal, right? And the behavior that ensues. And, you know, it, when you're in the grips of alcoholism and addiction and you're living that life, of complete and utter chaos and conflict, there is no way to have a spiritually centered life at the same time. It's like oil and vinegar, right? So people can come in to this program and having been spiritually grounded at some point and lose it, right? You don't have to be spiritually centered to become an alcoholic and drug addict, right? But a drug addict and an alcoholic will definitely become compromised spiritually. You can't, can't live together. They can't coexist, right? So it says this, and I'm going to leave it off with this because we're almost out of time. It says, from these resentments, we have not only been mentally and physical, physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And then it, sa- it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, they say that first. It's very important that when you read this information, you look at it and see what comes first, what comes second, or what, you know, whatever the promise is, what the condition they always give you, right? It says, when the spiritual malady, or another word for sickness, malady, is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. How many times did I come into this deal wanting to get the job back, get the money back? Get the family back, get the girl, get the car, and then I'll think about those steps. You know what I mean? And I never got there. Because I never got all the stuff anyway. I always had the horse before, the uh, cart before the horse. I never had horses. It was always putting myself out there. I wanted to get comfortable first, and then I'll think about doing something about it. Right? In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Next week, we'll do the mechanics of the four-step inventory and how that goes according to the book. And uh, I think that's about it for tonight, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Please join me in thanking Joe one more time.
This meeting has a secretary. That secretary's name is Joseph. I'm going to invite him up. Hello again, everyone. Uh, my name is Joseph, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In, in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, also, just a reminder, if you guys don't have cash, don't worry. We accept all major credit cards thanks to the square thing. Um, so please feel free to give with that if you don't have cash. Um, also, uh, another reminder, um, AA.org. For everyone in the um, Zoom Facebook world, um, please feel free to contribute there. Um, AA is still on the struggle bus because of Miss COVID, um, so uh, could definitely use your contributions at this time. Just go to AA.org, follow the links there, give online. Thank you. Um, all right, I've asked um, a good friend named Alex to come read the recovered statement. Uh, many of us refer to ourselves as recovered alcoholic rather than recovering. And I'm going to have Alex explain exactly what that means. Thank you. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Alex. All right. 1940 style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. This is, the statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Or as Joe mentioned, you do 100% of the work consistently, you get 100% of the results. That is our success rates of the program, which is beautifully said. Um, I may have just butchered that, but you get it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, um, at, at this time, uh, may I ask a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Thank you. Um, as well in the Zoom, please show them that this program works. Um, and anyone that needs a sponsor, please raise your hand in the rooms or in the Zoom Facebook world. Um, and anyone um, recovered alcoholics you see with your hands raised, please reach out to them and um, get together with God. Get them together with God, please. Um, all right. Um, we have a meeting on Monday nights. It's a great time. Big book study um, where the book comes alive, some say. Um, a lot of young people, great times, not so much old timers, but we got the young people. We got them young. We got them fresh. We got it's a good Sorry. I mean, Joe made a good point. It's a typical anyway, but I'm just bringing it back to it's, it's a good time. Please show up. Can't wait to see you there. Fellowships at 630 on Zoom. 
the meeting itself starts at 7.15. We'd love to see you there. Um, go to your local intergroups to pick up some CDs, mugs, large room, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries. Help improve your sponsorship. Help contribute to AA. It's a win-win. Boom, boom. We meet every Thursday here starting promptly at 7.15 with Joe's amazing message. God flowing through him. Got to love it. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bell. See you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night study. If you didn't, if you weren't sold by what he said, I'm sure as heck not going to get you. So um, all those who wish to thank Joe, please uh, line up as you will. Thank him appropriately. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you all Monday or next Thursday. Godspeed. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Now, growing vines, they 
twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time outside my door Never before I had to change everything to realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart, yeah Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
me and I got one man that steals my dignity. Got one man that just won't set me free. Well, clap your hands if you leave me, children. Yeah.